0: Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for the Useful Idiots uh, Monday Morning call Show. Hope your week is off to a good start. That was a good show. I'm just waiting for Katie to come by, although today she doesn't have her phone, so we'll see if we can find her. Um, And yeah, and if there are calls, we will take them. And if there are no calls, I'll just have to, I don't know, recite poetry or something. Um, Or freestyle rap. One of those two. One of those two. But I'd rather not do either of those things. I'd much rather speak to callers. So hopefully people will join. Uh, All right. Looks like we have our first caller. And hopefully Katie will come find us if she can connect. Okay. Uh, Al, go ahead.
1: Oh, hi there. Hi. Um, so I missed the Monday morning show, but I called in just to ask something. I have no idea if this was on the shows or not. Um, cause you watch them. I don't have to. That's right. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, what do you think is going on with Lehman? And, you know, I, the Russia retreated um and what's going on with Bakhmut I haven't seen anything about that you know changing hands or anything so uh was there anything about kind of expecting with the 300,000 more troops from Russia some kind of drive that's not happening or
0: yeah well on the Sunday shows Mm mm-hmm. H.R. McMaster, who was Trump's national security advisor, said that this is all a big sign of Russia collapsing and that this could mark the beginning of the end for Russia and Ukraine. And uh, look, you know, it's not my area of expertise. Some people say that Lehman did not have the strategic significance that, you know, people like McMaster are saying that it does for Russia. But um it is true that, you know, Russia has annexed territory that it doesn't even totally control yet. And so does that mean it's going to take back that territory or is it just going to like, re- like revise its annexation to like, you know, no longer annex certain parts that it can't, it can't take over. So I, I think a lot remains to be seen.
1: Right. Right. It's uh, I was hoping that there'd be a quick uh, end to this, you know. I Me mean, too. I want fewer people to die. Yes. So.
0: Yeah. But that's not, you know, no, there's just no, there, there's no sign of any kind of push towards that right now. There's no, I mean, recently there was a prisoner swap mm-hmm. between Ukraine and Russia. That's really the only sign of any kind of engagement among anybody. And that was brokered by Saudi Arabia. Aside from that, in terms of like some sort of effort to stop the fighting, there's, I don't see anything going on. And certainly, whoever blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, I think, made the possibility of a ceasefire that much more difficult because the pipelines were Russia's, you know, main form of um, incentives to, to the rest of Europe to say, look, uh, you have this energy crisis. We have natural gas. All we have to do is turn these pipelines, like, uh, uh, is turn these pipes back on and, and, uh, and we can solve your problem. And, you know, so let's make some sort of accommodation. But blowing up the pipeline takes care of that. If you want to extend the war
1: right, right, everyone's it well, it seems like the West is in for extending it, but it's not clear i mean i thought I thought maybe Russia would make a quick end to it. I mean, people would die, but not as many as if it goes on for you know a year or more but-
0: yeah, well, look unfortunately. I think we're in for a very tough winter. I think that's just yeah. sad, the sad yeah. truth.
1: Okay. Um, thanks for the call. Thanks.
2: Go ahead. Hey, Katie. Yeah, I I just was wondering what you think about the conscription. Don't you think that's a sign that Russia has no intent to end the CONACON?
0: I think it's a sign that uh, Russia... Did not succeed in its first phase and needs to call up more troops. I, I think Russia wants to win. I think this has become existential for Russia, so I see them calling up more troops as a sign that they that they really want to win and are willing to you know pour a lot more resources into it
2: yeah, it's just too bad that they want to keep dragging it out.
0: It is too bad it is too bad. It'd be great to have peace but that's not where we're at.
2: Yeah. What do you think about that, though, Katie?
0: Okay. I don't see Katie right now.
3: Huh.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: Yeah. Did you see where
2: uh, Reuters had to take down a tweet that basically just mimicked what Toss said about the annexation?
0: Say it again. Did Reuters put out a tweet that mimicked what?
2: Mimicked what Toss said about the annexation. Like they basically just reprinted the headline from Russia's media service, Uh, and then and the Reuters actually ended up deleting the
0: tweet. I didn't see that. What did it say? Uh,
2: It just said you know like uh, Russian referendums pass. You know without any uh, actual commentary on or sorry not commentary but actual any uh, actual extension of, of what actually had happened, um, basically just leaving a, something that was legitimate. And so then they, they uh, without making any mention of it, deleted the tweet and then moved
0: on. Huh. Huh. Well, uh, that's interesting. And yeah. if you, unfortunately, I don't think Kate can get your question up because she's, she's speaking to us from a laptop and is having some sound issues. So um, oh, okay. anything anything else?
2: Uh yeah, just to know if you had a chance to check out any of those sources I sent to you on uh the,
0: the Nazis in Russia.
3: Anyone hear me? Anyone hear me?
0: Yeah, we can hear you. Yes. Hi Katie. Right, yeah. Sorry. Uh yeah. you when did you send these to me? I sent it to you last night. Uh so the answer is no. I have not yeah, checked. Sure. No. I understand. Yeah. Uh but thank you. Thanks yeah. for the call.
2: Yeah. yeah, you definitely want to make sure you look into that because I think that would be a good good piece for the gray zone.
0: And and what is the story? It's about Nazis inside of Russia.
2: Yeah, and also. Oh right,
0: as- okay. Oh, you called in. You called in to, uh, to my call show L- last L-? night. Okay, I see. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and, and you put the links in the chat, right? Yeah, I actually
2: I also uh, dm them to you on on Colin.
0: Okay, thank you, thank you. I will check those out. So thank yeah. you. Awesome, thank you. All right, uh, Mark. Tyler.
4: Hi, good morning. Um,
0: Good morning. Good
4: morning. Just wanted to say, first of all, Aaron, that uh, as a Vancouverite, we're very proud of you and we love Gabor, so just to get that out of the way. No, thanks. You're welcome. And also, thanks for uh, Katie's courage, even though it got her fired from the hill, but we really appreciate her sacrifice. Thanks, Katie.
3: Can you make me an honorary Uh, Vancouverite because of it?
4: Of course. easy peasy. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Sorry, just pivoting a little bit more towards what seems like to be an attack on the middle class and the whole transfer of wealth push from middle class to upper class um, as we, for many obvious reasons, obviously COVID was a big push towards that. And now the interest rate hikes aren't really to attack inflation. Um, A lot of financial expert analysts analysts that are saying it's not going to really do much to inflation. All it's doing is just gutting anyone, gutting homeowners to basically have to sell their homes in mass sometime next year to rich property owner. Um, You know, the upper class that bought up real estate every time we have a crisis. Um, This seems to be like uh, we're heading to uh, very rough economic times next year. And I wonder if you guys can get your crystal balls out and see if that could have any impact on changing the direction of who's running the governments around the world. The only spinoff to that question is, it seems like there's been a lot of WEF-controlled oppositions, so kind of like right-wing opposition that appears to be, you know, anti-globalist, anti-establishment, but at the end of the day, they're working for the same puppet master. Um, The latest Conservative candidate uh, from Canada is a prime example of that. Um, Thanks, guys. These
0: are the kind of questions that, you know, Kitty and I have gotten, and um, I don't think this is really our wheelhouse. I, I think, I, Kitty, I hope you don't mind me speaking for you. I just this is not really, we you know I don't particularly focus on economics. It's and things like the WEF. I just don't. I haven't really read up on. I, I like I see it discussed in the way it's criticized, but I don't. It's not really my area of expertise. But obviously, yeah, in, in general, there are a lot of sort of like fake right wing populists uh, that uh, you know will. Exploit, you know, cultural issues, but when it comes to economics and the working class, they're right. just the same as the neoliberals or the, or the globalists, as some people call them. And uh, in terms of, I don't of love un- that term. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't use it. I try to use not use the term globalist. It sounds a little. Oh,
3: um, gosh. Uh, what's his name, Alex Jones. Yeah,
0: I'm a little anti-Semitic. Yeah, but um, but uh, in terms of unrest, I mean, look, just look at the nor- Look at the like callous indifference from. Anthony Blinken toward people around the world, especially in Europe, who are going to suffer even more now because they've because someone's bombed the source of, of cheap Russian gas. Uh, and when you you know when 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 you have someone calling a you know destruction of a pipeline a tremendous tr- strategic opportunity, when for millions of Europeans it means like a colder winter, more job losses, factories shuttering, um, higher energy bills. I, I think that's the kind of thing that does you know, raise the, the possibility of, of protests. And, you know, especially when winter hits and if there's energy rationing, i mean, imagine that if people have to ration energy in the, in the cold winter because of some border dispute over like which part of the Ukraine belongs to Russia and which part belongs to Ukraine. And this is a dispute going back many, many years. It's, are people going to abide that? I, I doubt it personally sounds good well thanks guys uh
3: have a great week love you thank you Thanks Thanks, you
0: too okay radical is up next
5: yes okay um yeah thank you both for what you do uh katie um I'm definitely with you. Um, Thank you. I've been fired for standing up for the right thing before, and um, it sucks, but um, I'm glad you have so much support, and I hope it uh, really increases your uh, attention on the Internet. Thank you. Uh, My question for you guys is have you uh, heard um, this morning I first came across – This uh, notion that China is divesting itself of U.S. dollars and um, all of the hullabaloo about that. And just what would be your take, you know, uh, what's the outcome if, if that's really happening?
0: Again, economics. Not yeah. really our forte. Not just we're, we're not your go to uh, people on this one. I, I just have to say I, there's got to be better voices than us. <laughs> yeah. But so so the, what so what happened? China is uh, taking something off of, is is what is the, is not uh, is not dealing with U.S. dollars in a certain sense. Like what's what happened?
5: Yeah, I guess that's uh what what the uh talk was um and you know I I can't say that I've validated the source or anything but uh an, another related issue would be um the outcry uh and and the actual um protests that are going on all over Europe which of course they're not showing us in the western media
0: mm.
5: um uh you know against the the war and even you know, flat out against NATO. There's signs people saying, you know, uh, leave NATO and so forth in multiple countries.
0: Yeah. So f- look on the currency stuff in China. I, I just we're not going to go to give you anything uh, um, <laughs> worthwhile. I think. And someone like we that, could pre-
3: pretend, but we pretend, we respect yeah. you too too much. Yeah.
0: yeah. But it's just I'm so I'm so bad at pretending on the issue because I just have such a. OK, well, a, a, thanks, but, guys.
5: I guess it's just something for listeners to keep an eye out. For.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, like someone like Ben Norton really follows this. Stuff Michael Hudson. Michael yeah. Hudson. I mean, you know. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah keep so, up the great
0: work. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thank you. And yeah, And look on those protests. Germany apparently had protests in multiple cities. Actually, the day before Nord Stream 2. Uh, and Nord Stream 1 were bombed. There were protests in German cities, multiple protests, and I saw footage of one city, and there's definitely thousands of people there, but you just didn't see that really in the media, because you know we're, we're, we don't care about uh, citizens of European countries opposing a proxy war and calling for negotiations. That's just, that's just not what's interesting right now to our media, but uh, we'll see. We'll see if these protests continue, and if the media will continue looking away. Okay, rich hello hi there hey how you doing
6: i, I good was, yeah i'm i'm always good uh I, well like i guess i'm always good but um one of the concerns i have and what i've seen um i'm from missouri and i i have to apologize for josh holly i didn't vote for him i don't vote but um he has uh made some that, that uh is kind of scary because there's a good chance that the republicans are going to hold the house and, and, and I don't I'm not one of those that think it matters that much but um he's talking about uh giving the ukrainians the weapons they need which means flooding the ukrainians with, with weapons so it seems like a trap that if we that that we've kind of gotten ourselves into that the republicans are going to be much more aggressive in uh, funding And financing the war in Ukraine, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know how to even describe it, but um, damned if you do, damned if you don't, maybe.
0: Yeah, well, what's so funny about that is uh, one of like Democrats main attack lines is that if Republicans take Congress, then support for Ukraine is in jeopardy, as if somehow that would be a bad thing to stop like pouring billions of dollars into a catastrophic proxy war. Well, meanwhile, I mean, there were, I just saw a recent headline where, like, a like school lunch, like free school lunch programs are ending in Pennsylvania, and so kids are gonna have to deal with skipping meals, you know. Uh, but, uh, but, but I think the irony of that fear mongering about uh, Republicans not supporting Ukraine is, I mean, a first of all, it's it's just it's interesting that Democrats would see that as a bad thing to vote average citizens paying for all this, but also I don't think it's true, and I, I'm sure that if Republicans came in. I wouldn't be surprised if they're just as hawkish, if not more hawkish, than than Democrats. And you know, people make this point. I think it's fair that if Donald Trump was in power waging this proxy war, I don't think you would see some Republicans who are currently opposed to it uh, being opposed to it then. But of course, that's a that's a counter that's a that's a counterfactual. It's hypothetical, but I you know I think it's a pretty safe bet.
6: Well, like like, and then you get to the point where you're seeing. Um, a no win scenario i mean in terms of stop um or stopping the the, the aggression I, I i don't know if they're turning back probably isn't an option at all but um does does anybody have any idea where this might end in a uh, terrible nuclear uh um warfare or, or something to that degree
0: Well, enough people die on one side that that side decides that they can't take it anymore. They just can't go on. I I think that's what both sides are counting on. You know, NATO has given Ukraine a lot of equipment and it has made a difference. Uh, Ukraine was in a very bad uh, military uh, state of affairs a few months ago, but, you know, this huge influx of NATO military equipment, billions of dollars, I mean, that's... that did make a difference. And so I think now, you know, the the NATO side is counting on that they can continue doing that and continue inflicting uh, casualties on the Russian side. And the Russian side is, 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 is doubling down too. And so I think that at this point, unless someone can, you know, break out of this um, death grip and embrace diplomacy, then we're just headed for a lot more death.
6: Yay! Well, anyway,
3: yeah, not the Bright. most uplifting news, but
0: <laughs> all right, Rich. Thank you for the call. Okay, Jonathan.
7: Hey, how are you doing?
3: Good. Hi. Good, you.
7: Good. I'm going to post. There's an article I put in the chat about how. Summer of 2021, a moratorium on the sale of Ukrainian farmland expired, 20 years long, and so the joining of NATO would have been a moot point.
3: Would have been a what?
7: Is not the end all, be all. Because when we live in a private property world, not a private property country. So if they own the foreign land then everything is theirs, it's sort of a a dollar hegemony. It's a monetary imperialism. And so he's like, oh, hell, Putin's like, oh, hell no. Uh, what's the point? I'm not going to wait for them to join NATO because they're going to be in NATO by proxy anyway. And so he invades. And like, if you want to build uh, one hotel, what do you do? You You apply for five licenses so that the people in the government can pretend like they have jobs and... You know, have desks and offices with bronze plaques on it, and they get to deny you four of those out of five, and you get the one hotel that you wanted, and everybody gets to look good. Well, he if he wants Donbass and Luhansk, he's going to go for the whole thing. Act like he's going to go for the whole thing. The rest of it will be severed and join NATO anyway, and then he'll get the two provinces that he wanted. And so I guess that's just my sort of prediction. And then so your other caller's points about money, Yeah, it is is a dollar sovereignty thing. Remember the speech that got Gaddafi killed was about divestment from the dollar. That's what they cannot allow. That's why Bitcoin is a problem. That's why countries that allow their citizens to pay their tax liability in Bitcoin is a problem. That's why, you know, we can't have these increased gas prices. That's good for the dollar and the ruble this war. Isn't that strange? It's unheard of that the ruble would go up and the dollar would go up and the rubles going up because it's not hurt. Like they don't need to buy anything. They make all their own oil, They're oil exporters. We're like, Oh, we're not going to buy it. Well, India, Pakistan, they say, we'll buy your oil. They're doing fine. And then we'd blow up Nordstrom and now all these Europeans are like, we're going to freeze to death this winter. Oh no, Norway has oil. They'll save us, but Norway can charge whatever they want. The price goes up and what do they pay? They paid in dollars. So that's good for the dollar. Because almost all these oil transactions all over the world happen in dollars. So it's not in our best interest now. It's not in the Fed's best interest to end the war because it's good for the bond market. Because when you get Norway getting paid in dollars, what do they do? They buy bonds. They buy American assets on the New York Stock Exchange. And that's what they need because we're it's eating shit right now. So that's all part of it. Too. Okay.
0: Jonathan, thank you for the call. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right
8: paul and aaron how are you doing hi there okay um hey last week i called and the connection went bad and we lost aaron uh we lost you right at the right at the end of my my big question that i wanted to ask you and katie um i was talking to you guys about um uh, because i i live part-time in uganda i was um, kind of, that's where my focus is, is on East and Central Africa, uh, as far as paying attention to what's going on. So I, I made a comment about how uh, the man who has earned a, the um, the nickname, the ghetto president, uh, Bobby Wine, Robert Kalyongi, um, that's a mispronunciation of his name, but anyway, he goes by Bobby Wine as his stage name, and uh, he possibly won the last election in Uganda. He's been, um, tortured and, and, um, just a a public display of just the brutality of the U.S.-backed dictator, uh, Yari Museveni, who's been in power 36 years, I think now. Um, so taking public beatings, and at one point he was, he was basically whisked away to the U.S. for, uh, treatment because he had been tortured so badly, and, um, and so, you, a lot of, there's 40 million Ugandans, and and with no hope of having a democratic process, and they see all this guy, they and they see this guy, Bobby Wine, as their possible messiah hero that will deliver them from, from the brutality of of Museveni, and Museveni is known for killing millions of people, uh, not just in Uganda but all around Africa. Uh, he's our boots on the ground guy. When the U.S. wants something done that that's ugly, he's he's there to do it. So it was very interesting to watch that um, Bobby Wine has has initially came out um, uh, supporting uh, Venezuela's President Guaido. Um, and uh, so there was a phone call put together with Guaido and Katie, you had made a comment and unfortunately my internet connection cut out and I couldn't hear what your comment was about that. Um, And uh, then he's come out with all the, he went to Ukraine and he's come out with these pro Ukrainian posts and doing like a musical, like, like a music video with some Ukrainian band. And it's just been very interesting to watch the watch, some Western power, possibly through his lawyer uh, named uh, Amsterdam, um, Robert Amsterdam, I think is his name, uh, anyway, to be co-opted. And, and um, so now we have two possible options, somebody that's possibly been co-opted, who was, who's seen as a freedom fighter, or the dictator's son, who is named Jose. So I made that comment. I would love to hear if you have anything to say about that. And part two is I wanted to hear how both of you got into journalism. Um, I'm I'm interested to know uh, how to be a journalist or, um, if not, how to be a good source. Um, I, d- I do travel in areas that are, are really dangerous, and it's not always easy. Um, to to say things publicly, but sometimes if I can get a journalist to say it for me um, to report on what's going on on the ground where I do travel to, um, then I can stay safe with my family and the information can get out. So I'm going to hang up so we don't have any uh, any problems, uh, or mute myself, sorry, so we don't have any problems with the internet, but I'd love to hear you answer both of those too.
0: Okay, thanks, Paul. You know, I can't Thank really Paul. comment... On Uganda because I just don't know anything about it. But if you
3: thought we didn't know anything about the economy, wait till you hear us on Uganda. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. So I, but look, w- w- what you lay out sounds very interesting, and um, it's always I-, I always appreciate hearing about the dynamics of okay. different places and, and and these you know uh, situations that pop up of, of what happens to people who spend a long time as freedom fighters when they enter into politics and and the and the struggles of sort of. Balancing the two are always, uh, it's always a challenge. It's very difficult to be in the political realm, especially after coming from a sort of like a militant past where you sacrifice a lot for, for your cause. So, but I, I, I can't. You're our
3: Uganda stringer. You're our East Africa stringer. That's where you, right? East Africa is your. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and uh, in terms of how I got into journalism, you know, It's a long story, but I just, I've always been into politics. I've always been into writing and, uh, I got a job, uh, at democracy now at a, uh, uh, and so that's why I moved to New York to work there. And and before that I was working for Naomi Klein as her researcher. And so that's how I got into journalism. And Katie, do you want to, do you want to share? Oh yeah.
3: Uh, I fell into it. I guess I got into it through, actually, I used to write at like the Huffington Post uh, and I worked for this thing, 23 six, which was their comedy site. And I would write like journalism in a, in like a pseudo right-wing voice, but then I just got into serious stuff. Yeah. That's it. That's how it happened.
8: Well, I really appreciate those answers. Um, can you, <laughs> can you address the, for somebody like myself, um, in a security, uh, tight ish uh, environment. How how do you be a good? How do you? Uh, I find that it's very hard to get the attention of journalists. So I really appreciate Colin. I'm happy to be Uganda stringer, um, but once I'm there, it's very hard because of um, you know they they use this Israeli software to monitor everything. Hi.
0: Um, yeah. Well that that's something that you have to navigate yourself and, you know, use your um own, own judgment on because that that's a very hard thing to give advice on. But uh it is you know, look, um if you speak uh, you know, English and you are in a country where uh there's just not that many reporters, then if you wanted to be a stringer there and if, you know, something happened in Uganda that would make journalists come there, I mean you would be very useful and there, you know, to you, you should contact people, journalists who are coming to Uganda. They're, they're easy to, to find. Like you just look at who is bylining stories and, and, and then contact them if you wanted to do that. But as you say, that's, that's dangerous work. So you have to be careful. All right. Thank you, Paul, for the call. Yeah. Uh, Brent.
3: I'm trying to think. Any good resources like report, for, for reporting safely? Like witness? Oh.
9: i don't know
0: yeah i don't know i don't know um yeah not sure
9: hi um can you hear me yes so i just want to first say off uh first want to say that what happened to katie is absolutely ridiculous like it's just unbelievable that um they would treat her that way so that leads to my next question so um have you guys found like talking about israel like if I don't know if you guys, any of you, are Jewish, but have you found that talking about Israel's the war crimes they have committed in the past and making if, if you were to make compare Israel to like to what Russia did and make the comparisons, would you be considered an anti se Would people call you anti semite or a traitor? Yeah, any of this that is
3: interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So the I am Jewish. Um, I'll let Aaron oh, okay. reveal whether he's Jewish. But spoiler alert: yes. Um. Which makes it so that I'm called like a self-loathing Jew instead of an anti-Semite, which gives me oh. a little bit more wiggle room. But even that, <laughs> as you can see, doesn't um, doesn't protect you. And in fact, I'm just putting in a link to my YouTube page, youtube.com touch the Katie Helper Show, because I just put in the comments. Because this Tuesday night at 7 p.m., I'm going to be interviewing Norman Finkelstein, who is a uh, a... A political scientist who's been censored and uh, blackballed by academia, basically. And I bring that up. He's also Jewish and he's the son of uh, Holocaust survivors. And he uh, is going to be talking about comparing Russia and uh, he's going to be comparing Russia and Israel.
9: Oh, wow. So, okay. yeah, you
3: definitely are a little bit protected, but not really. I mean, if you're Jewish, you just get to be... I think it's a little bit less damning to be called a self-loathing Jew than it is to be called an anti-Semite. <laughs> okay, and by okay. the way, if you see the video that I made, I mentioned that I'm Jewish because I say that I could go... I could move to Israel today and move wherever I want and work wherever I want. Um, so could Jake Tapper and Jonathan Greenblatt, but... Um, Rashida Sleib, and a Palestinian like Rashida Sleib couldn't even go to her family home in what's now Israel. Um, And I do sign off my video, uh, Lashana Tova, which is basically happy holidays, because it's, uh, I was, which one was it already? Rosh Hashanah, now it's Yom Kippur, or the other way around? As you can tell, I'm not very observant. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow, Katie, your faith is really is really developed. You know which one it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was which Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it was Rosh Hashanah. Hashan. Hashan, okay.
3: Yeah, now it's Yom Kippur. Yeah.
0: And then yeah, this week it's it's, uh, Yom, it's Yom atonement, Kippur. atonement,
3: atonement, <laughs> very Jewish holiday. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Yeah, look, uh yeah, no, I'm Jewish too and I uh went to, you know, Jewish summer camps that were that were Zionist. I mean, they were. We we were taught a lot of pro-Israel propaganda based on, you know, like how it was a uh, a land without a people uh, for a people without a land, that kind of stuff. Right. And um, I think it's just, but look, you know, on the positive side, things have really changed, you know, uh, in the last few decades. Like in um, when Hillary Clinton was first lady, she had to apologize after she voiced some like mild support for the idea of a Palestinian state. She literally had to say she was sorry for that. Now, though, you know, you wouldn't have to apologize. for that. And of course, you know, the idea of a Palestinian state is such a joke anyway, at this point, given that Israel gobbles up whatever land it wants to. But the point is, what I'm saying is that things have gotten better. I mean, the people leading the way have been organized um, solidarity activists with Palestine in the uh, in North America and Europe and around the world. And, and they've changed the conversation. They made it a lot more difficult to silence people. Who speak out, and but of course, as we can see with Katie's case, the powers of censorship and McCarthyism are still are still there, and um, it, it, it's too bad. And I think uh, you know, Katie made a very um, brave stand in in calling it out, and it's just too bad that we even have to be in that position. Because you know, why shouldn't we talk about anything? You know, like nothing off limits, especially something is as just horrific as israel palestine It's just it's it's all just so obvious you know
3: right aaron did you tweet out this by the way that we're live now i did to... yeah, okay I did. awesome did. guys if you're watching this listening to this make sure you tweet this out facebook it out get people in here we want them in the room
0: all right brent anything else
3: yeah um
9: so so if We criticize you. I don't know. You guys don't talk about Yemen a lot. I don't know why that is. Um, Maybe you do. I I probably don't watch enough. But what's going on in Yemen? Like, at the same time as as the Russia-Ukraine invasion, the U.S. was involved in in Yemen. And maybe not to the same extent... They weren't physically invading Yemen, but they they were doing some pretty horrific stuff over there as well. Um, Is it hard to cover uh, those type of stories? Or... Are you, do you get censored here in the U.S. for that? Or? No, 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 no. no.
0: I, I've done a lot of stuff on Yemen. And yeah, you're right. Look, the U.S. sponsored that war. In fact, Saudi Arabia, before launching it, came to the White House and asked Obama for his blessing. And, you know, the way if you, if you interview Obama officials, like I, I've interviewed a few of them or at least one of them, Robert Malley. Uh, who was a uh, a top advisor to Obama on the Middle East. And Mali's line was, you know, we really didn't want to, we didn't want to, and we didn't foresee that Saudi Arabia would be so brutal, but we kind of had to because we were trying to get the Iran nuclear deal reached and we needed to mollify Saudi Arabia in some way. Uh, Which, of course, course (laughs) they didn't. I mean, they could have told Saudi Arabia to, you know, uh, pack their bags and go home. Uh, But so that's how they spun it. And yeah, look, and and then it escalated uh and it turned to the world's worst humanitarian crisis and of course you know all the you know chest thumping about sovereignty and stopping genocide that we hear about in uh in Ukraine of course was completely absent when it comes to Yemen which where, where Saudi Arabia was far more brutal and deadly than Russia has been i mean that's just that's just not even uh debatable. In fact, recently the New York Times quoted some, or cited some White House officials saying that, saying that they were baffled at how Putin has avoided escalating the war and has avoided targeting civilian infrastructure unlike what, you know, say the US did in Iraq or what Saudi Arabia did in Yemen. So, right now though, there has been a truce going on for a while, for a few months, but it just expired in Yemen. And so that means you know, war could resume. I don't know. Um, I haven't looked into it too much, but you know, Yemen has been quiet in the media, not just because of Ukraine, but because of a truce and that truce has expired. So it'll be, you know, very interesting to see what happens next.
9: Okay. All right. Um, I guess that's it. Um, thank you for what you guys do. Thank you.
3: you. And yeah, I've talked about Yemen on my show as well. Um, on the Katie Halper show.
9: Okay, so, so yeah. that's good. So you guys are talking about things that the other media there. I've never heard the word Yemen uttered out of any of the media's mouth ever. And I and and like I, I spoke with I was eating at a Yemen restaurant in Brooklyn, and this guy he's he he talked about the, the horrors of Yemen. Yet I eat at a, a Ukrainian restaurant in in uh, Manhattan, and people there's like uh, Ukrainian right. flags everywhere. But in, in the Yemen restaurant, they have to have the U.S. flag as well, and it it just shows to me that. People aren't very supportive of criticizing the U.S. Basically, it's a – obviously, the U.S. is very uh, U.S. biased, so um.
3: – I'd say that um, Yemen is more ignored than censored. Like, you won't get in twice – you won't get in as much trouble.
0: Well, well media, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, no, sure, sure. Yeah. And, and in terms of the media ignoring it, uh, listen to this. This is from FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy Reporting, in 2018, in July 2018. Uh, in the time period of July third, twenty seventeen, to one year later, July third, twenty eighteen, MSNBC dedicated zero segments to the war in Yemen, but four hundred and fifty-five segments to Stormy Daniels. So that gives an <laughs> idea of of how important Yemen was uh, to uh, broad to, to to news executives and, and editors. Zero segments um during a very you know deadly year for the war from 2017
9: to 2018 on msnbc zero wow wow
0: yeah brent thank you for the call we're gonna move on all right thank you a lot of callers. thank you all right andrew
10: hello to both of you hi there hi um quick things. First of all, the reason no one cares about Yemen is because they're unworthy victims. And if you don't know, right. means look up Chomsky, read into him. A really good parallel to Yemen would be East Timor in the way mm-hmm. that no one cared about East Timor. No one cares about right. Yemen. No one reports on it. Secondly, uh, real quick, very disturbing that a man who calls out to months long dead people repeatedly is uh, ostensibly controlling nuclear codes. Just reminding everyone of that. Um, And if it's not him, apparently it's a talking building known as the White House. So that's also disturbing. But the main thing I wanted to call in about was uh, Katie and your bravery about standing up to uh, what really is a a giant lobby in the United States. And it's um, it is taboo to talk about it. And could you really quickly repeat when you'll be talking to Norman Finkelstein? Because I think it's really important. Everyone hears this.
3: Sure. Tuesday night at 7 p.m. EST.
10: And on what platform? Uh, YouTube.com
3: slash the Katie helper show.
10: Thank you very much. All right. Again,
3: that's YouTube.com slash the Katie helper show.
10: So in that spirit, I'd like to also defame myself, uh, as an anti-Semite, I guess. Um, my father's father, uh, my grandfather on my father's side, their entire family is Jewish and came from, uh, Russia during the revolution. And, uh, He fought, in my grandfather fought in World War II. Mm. Very proud of the guy. Never got to meet him. But I have Jewish family, but I I don't know if I'm a self-loathing Jew. I don't identify as Jewish, but I'm going to go for it. Because I want to make an argument that um, what's going on with Russia right now in the U.S. is highly linked and caused to our relationship with Israel. And if you'd like to give me two minutes, I'll explain why. Um, It relates to Russiagate, which itself is not the original sin, It's a lie, which we know the original sin that Russia committed was interfering in Syria. I think you would both agree with that. That's when they put their foot down. And for the first time in modern history, since the Soviet Union fell, really put their blocked American so-called foreign interests and foreign policy. They stopped Assad from falling. And there's no way around that, that he, they, Russia
0: and Putin stopped that from happening. would you agree with that? And if you look at some of the key figures behind Russiagate, like John Brennan, he was the head of the CIA. And what was one of his biggest pet projects in that job? It was the dirty war in Syria, Operation Timber Sycamore. Now, why, though? Why? What is it
10: about Syria? What, what, what national American interest did we Well, add? it's
0: funny. It, it's funny. In, in terms of a national American interest, uh, you can go to um, the reporting of Seymour Hersh. And I think it was the article in, called The Realignment, which is such an important article, which, which actually, basically, this was, I think, came out in 2007. And it basically predicted the dirty war in Syria, which broke out in 2011, where he said that the Bush administration is realigning you know, U.S. policy to basically side with uh, Sunni militants in the Middle East to go after Iran and its allies, its main allies being Hezbollah uh, and Syria. And, um, so that, and Hirsch reported in the article that, you know, Syria, I believe he, it was this article that he reported this somewhere. I've read him, uh, report this, that Syria was giving the Bush administration intelligence that actually helped it capture some Al Qaeda operatives after nine 11. And, uh, so Syria, from the point of view of like U S national security interests was actually cooperating. Now, Syria also allowed us to go over into Iraq. And I think, uh, There was actually one U.S. official who acknowledged that the reason Syria was doing that was because they were they were hoping that, you know, if the U.S. was bogged down in Iraq, they wouldn't they would be spared. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't bring regime change to Syria because, you know, we know from Wesley Clark that, you know, exactly uh, that Syria was one of the first countries put on the list of governments to overthrow after after 9-11. Now, what is uh, the commonality of that list, though? All those countries? so, well, they're all p- countries that are outside-led order, and they all act as a deterrent in their own way to U.S. hegemony, and especially in the case of Syria, to U.S. and Israeli hegemony. Syria exactly is an ally of and Iran, and it helps act as a transit point for weapons that can arm Hezbollah, which can help Hezbollah resist. And Hezbollah is really the the most successful uh, group that has resisted Israel. It, it actually is a deterrent to Israeli aggression. Um, as seen by the fact that, that they forced an Israeli withdrawal from Lebanon in, in what in two thousand around that time, and so um, and so, yeah, uh, that I think is the motive is basically undermining a key state that acts as a you know base of resistance against against Israel and against you know it, it, it's Israeli it, it's it's U.S. Uh, overseer. And, but we could uh,
10: never talk about that. We could never talk about that. And it's because of what would happen to Kate, what happened to Katie would happen to anybody that talked about that. And anyone that dares bring up that the fact that the U.S. has this relationship with Israel where there is, you know, it's it's a Zionist movement and it doesn't mean Jewish. It means that there's a political movement and they're Christian. There are Jews. There are atheists. And there there is. And
3: and there are anti-Zionist Jews, too.
10: Of course, and there's some of the most important people, I think, and some of the bravest people that are involved in this entire thing That w- when they speak up, because they really are going to get it from all sides. They're going to get it from real anti-Semites. They're going to get it from people that are saying they're betrayers. I mean, they're, they're invaluable voices, but you can't hear it. You, I mean, look at – Nor- Norman Finkelstein can't speak in American media. So this this yeah. idea that there is a pervasive – Infiltration of a, a, a ideological movement into America. It is it is true, you know, and it, it's it's not about Judaism. It's about a ideological set of interests that relate to a state and our relationship with that state. And it's the only state that gets to have this relationship with us. You want to talk about Russian interference? I well, mean, listen Jesus on terror. that point.
0: You know, on that point, I mean, there's a you know. So if you recall, if you called during Russian date, you know, the obsession was like Trump is controlled by. Putin and what are his ties to Russian oligarchs? There's like, how many hours and weeks and years were wasted on fantasies about Trump being controlled by Russian oligarchs and you know the Trump family uh, being corrupted by Russian money? I mean, that was a the dominant theme. Well, we just got this from Maggie Haberman of the New York Times in her new book about Trump. And she says this, this is from uh, a Times book review of Haberman's book. And I didn't know this, or at least if I knew this, I forgot it. Uh, it says this later, Heyman writes, Trump accepted a 20 million super back contribution from the billionaire Sheldon Adelson to move the U.S. embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So here you have at the same time as MSNBC and other Blue on pundits are hyperventilating about like Trump being controlled by Russian oligarchs and all these other fantasies. Here's an actual American oligarch buying off Trump with $20 million to a super PAC to get Trump to change U.S. policy and move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was a really big deal, you know, it had geopolitical consequences. But of course, nobody cares about that because that's the kind of foreign interference and oligarch money that, you know, these same people fearmongering about Russian interference don't care about because they actually pretty much support the underlying policy or it's just not useful to their Russian-gate narrative, which is their... Which is their main concern? Uh, it's, so,
10: it's no coincidence that the same set of people that got us into Iraq is involved with Ukraine. Okay, and it's yeah, again, sure. it's, it's they're, they're getting a free pass. So thank you both, yeah. and thank you, Katie. Thank for you, bravery. Aaron.
3: You know who just tweeted tweeted out that we t- we should tune in, and in case he's listening, uh, journalist Jim Clancy.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank Exciting. you, uh, Jim Clancy.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, whoever you are, I don't uh, uh, do I know who Jim Clancy is
3: oh yeah you have to you've you've seen him on 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 t v i'm sure
0: okay all right yeah all right well thank you jim uh we yeah. we, we appreciate it um and uh oh yeah c- it, it, i
3: think c n n
0: is, it, CNN? is it jim Clancy formally of uh of c n n yeah maybe yeah wow okay well thanks jim uh okay mark
3: yeah c n n yeah it is c n n
0: Hey,
11: you can you hear me Yes. Great. Yeah, I think before I, I, I hit the hang up button, so that's why you lost me last time. Um I have a few things I'd like to just uh, uh say. Uh first uh regarding uh Lehman, the, the village um that Ukraine uh just took over because Russia uh withdrew their five hundred man garrison yesterday. Um These 500 fighters are fighting off, I think, at least 6,000 Ukrainians, and was for the past few weeks. And from what I've heard, like I follow the Duran, and I follow like, uh, you know, Scott Ritter and people like that, who seem to know a lot more about the basics, the details of what's going on in this war. And uh, it's uh, Lehman is really not a strategically vital area. And at the moment, Russia pulled these 500 fighters out. Who was, It was kind of like the movie, like, you know, the 300 against the Persian army kind of deal. And um, uh, Ukraine had moved a lot of their troops from other parts of the, uh, of the line up there, and they were obsessed with taking this village. It's a village of 15,000 people that was deserted. And so it's really um, uh, milita- militarily it's not really relevant. And at the moment, you know, uh, Russia's bringing in their their um, 300,000 uh, new troops. You know, a lot of the people that were called up in Russia, they, they are going to be taking over, you know, things in the other parts of Russia or, you know, behind. And the, the real troops that are are, are trained, that are, are currently trained, will be the ones that are coming in. And, and people are expecting Russia basically um, by uh, the middle of December to the middle of January to put an end to this war. And um, I'm hoping they're going to take Odessa and uh, at least uh, and, uh, places like that that are Russian also. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the atrocities that the Nazis committed against the uh, protesters in Odessa in 2014, putting them in that, that union building and burning them alive. Um, anyway, so that's, that's a little bit on, 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 on the war. As far as the pipeline, um, you know, there's, there's Garland Nixon and the Duran both, you know, there, nobody, I know, uh, um, uh, Aaron, you like to, uh, act conservative about the pipeline, but to, I think to any, uh, rational observer, it was obviously the United States. I mean, maybe Poland had something to do with it. I mean, but it, Whoever did it, it was, you know, the United States was behind it. And we know that the United States had that boat, that that vessel out there very close. I I forgot the name of it. It's like the Kenev or or something. And they had these these, uh, special military uh, Navy uh, training people, uh, you know, going underseas, and they have these drones and stuff. So it's uh, almost obvious that the United States did it, plus... There's reports that the CIA told Germany back in June that the the pipeline was going to be attacked. So it's like, um, you know, it's obvious that the, to me and to most people that the United States is behind the explosion. And and you know, um, there's the video of, of Biden in uh, before Russia invaded in February, saying that if Russia invaded, he would they were going to uh, uh, destroy. The pipeline and the pipeline. I'm sure you've seen that video. There's a video of Victoria, Victoria Newland also saying that, you know, the pipeline was going to be stopped. So, you know, the, the bitch, Victoria Newland. I
0: mean, for the reason we're, Mark, we're sorry, suffering sorry, in this
11: Mark, world is from people like her, you know.
0: Mark, sorry, I we can't uh, refer to people. Uh, okay, with, sorry, 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 sorry. sorry, um, sorry. And also, if you're
3: and, gonna curse, which we shouldn't, but if you're going to, oh, sorry, you know, sorry. use a non-gendered one, that's my
11: yeah. plea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I'm yeah. i 70, so I'm still not. Um, okay, that's okay. okay. No, we're just, calling sorry. you in, but not yeah. calling you out. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know, and, and, and I don't know if you've heard about the the infamous video of a Ukrainian soldier boiling a uh, uh, boiling a uh, Russian head in a you know a cauldron. Have and as them. far as as yeah. far as Nazis go, it's like, you know, the, there is a, a photo of Zelensky um, uh, uh, in, in the area that that Ukrainian went into, you know, and again, that, that any victory U- Ukraine has had is because Russia has moved their troops out. And um, there was a video of a, a photo of him. Uh, his bodyguard had one of those um, uh, Nazi insignias on his uniform. So yes,
0: yes. It was, it was taken down. Yeah. So Mark, thank you. For you've the call. seen you. that. So you've seen yep. that. Okay. Thanks, Mark, and, for the call. Okay. And we're going to get moving. Cause we only have a limited time left and, uh, okay. B go ahead.
12: Yeah. Uh, hello guys. Um, just wanted to ask about what you guys think about the, uh, the videos from Jazeera, like a four or five parts, uh, series about documenting the labor, um, the labor
3: files. Right.
12: The labor files. Yeah. 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 It's I, 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 when you talked about being censored on, uh, by the hill and, and when I looked at, at like, there's like a lot of parallels. Okay. Uh, uh, because the the member of the but the members of the Labour Party, are mainly the ones who spoken it um, against Israel, are be, like being you know or being harassed or being uh, at one pl- uh, at one place or another being uh, taken down by, by the. Some of the uh, some of the people who are extremely extremely um, anti anti sort of like uh, who hated people who spoken about Palestinian rights and stuff like that. I was just I was just like, what do you guys
0: think about that, that about that? Yeah, I watched some of the Labour files. It's, it was a bit hard to follow because I, I felt as if. You... You know, it, it's just so complicated. There's so many different people in labor and different, like, branches yeah. of it. But basically, look, it, it just, it, you know, it confirmed exactly what was obvious to me at the time and what I was trying really hard to call out when it was happening, that the whole notion of an anti-Semitism crisis inside labor was a complete scam. It was done mm-hmm. to delegitimize Corbin and to prevent him from becoming prime minister, which he was very, very close to, only a few thousand votes away. But his own party him or members of his own party sabotaged him. And uh, this is not just because Corbyn is, you know, a very uh, forceful advocate for Palestinian rights, but also it's because he's just a, you know, an actual progressive uh, with consistent values and wanted to help the British working class and had a real chance of success. And so when you Mm -hmm. can't challenge someone's policies and when there is such a, you know, a um, power, a strong leader and a charismatic leader and someone who gets people on his side, you have to turn to smear tactics like this. And so this is what they did. They, they use anti-Semitism and this labor uh, files documentary about Al Jazeera it gets a lot of leaked documents. That's how they did it. And, you know, one example they give is like some Jewish member of labor who's in on this scam goes to the home of some elderly ladies. I think even one of them is Jewish. And um, there's a recording of their encounter. And the uh, one of the ladies says to him, like, is
12: that Luke, is that Luke Stranger or by any chance? I, I don't remember.
0: The, I don't remember the name, but basically, like, one okay. of the women says to him, so, like, which which branch of the party are you from? Right. And and that's the question that we, which you hear uh, I think that that was like a BBC. Yeah. Uh, so dude, what he did, what he then. did, yeah. what, like what this guy did. And then this guy then goes and takes part in this documentary on the BBC about the supposed anti-Semitism like anti-Semitism crisis in labor. And he's, the way he tells the story is that he was out there, whatever, doing research for labor. And someone asked him, so where are you from? And the implication was that he was like, you know, from Israel, or like, or you know, and had like dual loyalties or something like that. When really, that this was, that, just but a, that
12: wasn't actually being asked. But uh, that, she's she right. asking what branches of the Labour Party exactly, saying. exactly, yeah, and they're and they're yeah.
0: and they're playing like, and BBC is playing spooky music. Oh, as he's telling the story, and that's you know, and you see that repeated people claiming to be victims of anti-Semitism while to, while totally exaggerating what actually happened, and that's how they did it. And of course, labor is not going to account for it because this scam was it went very, very deep. But I'm really glad that look, the people who behind this documentary put a lot of work into it. It's obvious. And um, Mm -hmm. it's a a great window into how devoted people in so-called liberal democracies are preventing genuine democracy from happening uh, Mm -hmm. and sabotaging the best hopes that progressives have for, you know, changing policies and bringing about a more equitable world. They'll go to lengths like fabricating uh, scams like this one, the Corbyn, who's a lifelong anti-racist is somehow this deep anti-Semite and there's a huge crisis. And look, like a lot of people bought into it. People who I know, members of, I have family in England and they would, they would tell my mom, I heard the second hand, but that they were scared Jewish under Corbyn and it worked. I mean, it was completely ridiculous, but it, it, but it worked. Uh, And, that's why uh, these people keep winning is because, you know, propaganda is very powerful and they have the media on their side.
12: Speaking of propaganda, um, I just want to ask about, like, as you guys know, Liz Truss won the election three, free four weeks ago. It. And then again, uh, when they, when she and the treasury secretary introduced like um, uh, 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 economic, uh, economic, policies, which is essentially um, like a huge austerity plan. Uh, The media at at the beginning were lapping up Liz Truss because they they all thought she was a a great candidate or something. Uh, But now they were like, uh, Liz Truss sucks, Liz Truss bad, but it's specifically about her policy, uh, economic policy. It was like more about you know, like a person, personality thing or, or whatever. Is it, it, that sort of like a, a, a distraction meant to, uh, toy with the public's mind about what, 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 what was about to, you know, what people should think about Liz trust and, and also what, what, Sort of th- messages that gives out to the uh, to not just the people of Britain, but the people who read about uh, around the world who read about
0: this. Right. V, thank you for the call. We're going to keep it moving because we only have limited time left. So thank you for the call. OK, thank uh, you. And let me actually say, Katie, you know, you know, Jim Clancy, the former CNN correspondent who's listening, I'm remembering now. He actually had a controversy around, surrounding Israel where. He was targeted for making some comments that were critical of of Israel, right. and so it's um, and you know he was a you know senior correspondent for CNN uh, covering the world for for many decades, and uh, in his case too, I think if I have it correctly, uh, speaking somewhat critically of Israel led to consequences, kind of like what happened with you. So it's just amazing how this issue is so powerful in media life, and when you don't toe the line, you know even when nice. you're like a, a global affairs correspondent for CNN uh there are consequences yeah. okay nick hi can you hear me yes
9: hey so
13: um after kim was let go i started like really digging into the background of what next star has been yeah. up to and one of the interesting things that they're doing is they're securitizing their ad um spots so when Katie, when you did your uh, radar, you, based on their current model, you did that radar on KTLA um, because they they really want to go to the targeted ad model, and their goal is to kind of be YouTube um, as youtube the people who are broadcasting the content to uh plex or whatever other app you're using they want to be the ad uh editor filmer they want to choose what videos the ad gets played on and they want the entire thing to be clean for advertisers because if they're doing targeted ads and i'm a general in the Air Force, and they're targeting me, and I'm a, I don't know, a general in the Canadian Air Force, and we both watch the same show, but they want us to have different ads. They can't have non-brand safe products, and there are videos out there of them bragging about it. I've posted one in the chat. Oh, wow. Where one one of their execs is up there talking about um, how they're using (laughs) Uh, They basically are pooling, securitizing all of their properties into one kind of group. And it's really creepy when you start looking into this, because instead of the old days of being like, hey, I want to buy an ad on Seinfeld, on a new episode of Seinfeld, now what they're selling is, I want to buy an ad that gets me... 1,000 new visits to my website. I don't care what it goes out on. And so as a result, the content managers have to kind of make sure that everything is brand safe. And so, Mm -hmm. now that could be an influencing factor in this, um, but it also could just be that it, it, it looks like that's not the only reason that this happened. It looks like they have some interesting recent hires. But it's, it makes sense as to why the Hill would be shooting themselves in the foot and setting their subscriber numbers back nearly a year. Because they took some pretty good-sized hits when they let Kim go and when they let you go. And it just right. doesn't make sense as to why they would do that from a business standpoint, unless they're trying to securitize and make it. So when you buy an ad from NextStar, you get it on KTLA and you get it on the Hill and you get it on Best Reviews and you get it on, you know, 50 other local networks that might have the one specific person watching who they're trying to get to click on a website Okay, Nick. Thank you for
3: thank you, yeah. And uh, I also just that. put in a link to a really good Jacobin piece by Branko Marchetic where he looks at um, uh, NextStar's connections to basically the Israel lobby.
0: All right, go
1: hey, ahead. Aaron.
11: Hey, Katie. Hi there. Hey. Hi. Hey. Um, kind of touching on what uh, Andrew was bringing up before, um, in terms of the relationship between U.S. and Israel. I was reading actually, Aaron, a lot of your articles. Ended up um, reading a lot more about what was going on uh, between Israel, Syria, and the U.S. in the uh, kind of between 2000 to to 08. And this wasn't; these weren't articles specifically by you, but um, there's a bunch of examples of the, what looks like the U.S. actually trying to block what could have become. Uh, peace negotiations, or some kind of agreement, like furthering of agreements between Israel and Syria. So I know that's kind of counter to what I think I understand from sort of what Andrew was saying,
0: but um, yeah. No, it's not counter. No, look, there were negotiations between Israel and Bashar al-Assad's father, Hafez al-Assad, to get Israel to return the Golan Heights, which it stole in sixty-seven, And they were close to a deal. They were very, very close to a deal. But uh, in the end, I think uh, well, Netanyahu didn't want to do it, and the Bush administration really ultimately didn't want to do it, even though they were involved in the talks. And it was sabotaged because I think they would, they would have rather have kept Syria as an enemy um, rather than making peace with it. All right. Thanks, Phil. Uh, and our last call Bobby.
14: Hey, hey, can you guys hear me? Yes. Great. All right. Uh, What do you guys think about creating a project uh, online, you know, YouTube, all these platforms and everything, something based around, uh, like, the classical debate. I was live talking heads agreeing with each other on Ukraine and everything, and at the end, everybody would agree, like, oh, it was a great debate, and I was like, do you guys understand what, like, the definition of a debate is? So I'm thinking... Bringing in uh, somebody an influencer, somebody who it will bring in, you know, views, and then that person brings in experts and everything, and set it up in a format where it would be, uh, you know. A, you, you could you could discuss you know Yemen or Ukraine or you could discuss like flat Earth if you wanted, <laughs> but like something that would actually uh you know allow people to understand better, like to get educated through the process, and then you could also have like team versus team or what have you, and like it could be pre-recorded or live, and it could be like in written format as well, uh, but it's like to make it clear what is known and what is believed. And I'm thinking this 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 word salad, right? The uh, facts as they stand, right? So you know we know who won World War Two. That's facts as they stand. Now, if somebody got any more like new evidence of some new facts, like let's bring it on, right? Or like flat Earth or what have you, you know, war in Ukraine. <laughs> so um, what do you guys think about something like that, or if there's something yeah. like that already?
0: I think a debate show is a great idea it's just it takes a lot to, to put that together and um I don't have the time or the resources for it, but I think it's a great idea. It'd be good to have a debate show on the top issues Look, the problem is it's it's hard to find people who actually want to have a debate i mean during Russia gate, I would have debated anybody, and when I did like you can see how it went for people who were trying to argue that. Russia Gate was really a, a really big deal, and that Trump was a Russian agent. You know, the facts are never on their side, and so the whole media system exists by basically, you know, confining debate to a very narrow spectrum of opinion. You know, that's as Chomsky pointed out in Manufacturing and Consent, and so trying to break around that is a great endeavor. I just it's very challenging because you'll have a lot of people who should be debating who don't want to debate because they don't have the facts on their side. So, but it, but it's a good idea, and and thanks, Bobby, for uh for the suggestion. Uh-
14: if i may uh just like in, in, in sense of legacy media right uh i remember when uh shows like crossfire started, right yeah. from 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 the beginning they were uh designed around people disagreeing right so they they sort, sort of molded that into into this sort of st- agreement with the, with the system and everything. But I'm thinking with, like, the new media and everything and technologies being sort of simpler to use and everything, you could get, like, volunteers maybe and everything.
0: I know. I'm pushing it. Thank you, guys. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for the call. Look, there's a lot of noble media pro- projects that should happen, but it just it, it takes money. And uh, it's hard to get these things off the ground. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is a great show. Yeah, uh, Substack dot Usefulidiots.substack.com to support us and get bonus content. We'll be back here at the same time next week. And Katie, tomorrow night you have on Norman Ficklestein.
3: Yes, indeed. 7 p.m. EST, youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show.
0: All right. I'll, Thanks, I can't everyone. I can wait for that. Bye, everybody.
3: Bye.